Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. We are at the end of uh, 1 Samuel 14. We've been a couple prior weeks before. We've met some amazing people in 1 Samuel. Uh, I think some I would call some life with faith heroes. Um, Hannah, what a lady. Seriously, what a lady. And uh, so moved by her. Samuel, her son, and just how what God did with him and is doing with him as we go through it. A, a young man and a man committed to wanting to please the Lord. Oh, more Samuel in me, more Samuel in us. And then there's Jonathan. What an awesome millennial. <laughs> I mean, here's this 20-ish year old dude that is out of faith in the Lord that is above and beyond all those that are older than him and are ready to step out in faith and courage in the Lord. Love that guy. Uh, we've also met some individuals who've kind of been in some sad places with the Lord. Um, Eli, priest, two sons that are just off the rails. And uh, just hard to see what's taking place there with him and his family. And then Saul, um, kind of on the screen, I'm kind of that's my modern day image of Saul today, if you will. And Saul's been in a hard place, and we've seen it happen. Um, it, it's been pretty sad. I mean, here's this guy, so much potential, so much potential, so much opportunity. And, and then today we come into what's really like this uh, eulogy like editorial summary of his life, it's, it's kind of an odd uh, a placement of what's happening here. But we come into this summary of it, and uh, I want, it's just seven verses, I wanna take a little time, and let's spend a little time in it, okay? So let me begin by reading these. We're in verse 47, 1 Samuel 14, let me read them. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishbi, Malkishui, and the names of the two daughters uh, were these. The, the name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the second was Mishal. And the name of Saul's wife was uh, Anioam, the daughter of Ahimahaz. Oh, man, I'm trying with those words. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, and son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Verse 52, there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul's life. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he attached him to himself. I'm just gonna say straight up, this is a really odd placement of a text. If you've been following with us, it's like this text has been moving on, action, action, action. And all of a sudden we come to this editorial eulogy almost. And by the way, look at chapter 15, verse one. And Samuel said to Saul, Saul's not dead yet. Um, 
So what's going on here? Well, I think uh, there's a literary content thing that's happening here. I actually think the writer, the editor here of of 1 Samuel is placing this here strategically because it's a bit of a wrap-up. It's a bit of a wrap-up at this point. I think it's kind of the second section of 1 Samuel here. There's some others who are far smarter than me and kind of have that view, and I I would agree with them. I think this is placed here as kind of an ending to a direction. In other words, the conversation so far has been about establishing the first king of Israel, Saul. The attention has been on him. We've seen his life. It comes up and it kind of has a wrap-up. Now we're about to see... Well, we're not going to, I'm actually going to be, by the way, I'm actually going to be ending the series here uh, today in 1 Samuel 14 in the text. I'm going to finish the series next Sunday by actually going to Isaiah and kind of having a charge for us with it. What does it look like as a summary to do life with? And in this, I think this is a closure here. And chapter 15 actually begins moving, the focus moves towards David. Saul actually becomes kind of David's foil. And so while Saul has been the center and the focus here for the last uh, five, uh, seven verses, chapters here, I think it's now, this is a bit of a closure. But it is interesting that we all of a sudden have this eulogy when he's not dead, if you will. Um, So... The other thing that's odd about this is it's pretty positive about Saul. I mean, you actually read this, and it's quite positive about him. And and we kind of go, hey, why is that? Uh, Here's this guy that we learned is good-looking, tall, thoughtful, respectful, seemingly humble country boy, even used by God and, and positioned for great impact for the Lord. But ever since chapter 13, Saul has become an increasing train wreck. In his life with the Lord, I will just say, if there is life with the Lord uh, for Saul. And yet, these final seven verses read so positive, like he was a great man. What's with that? I'll just say, hold that thought. For those kind of on the table, let's kind of work these verses here. First, I want to talk about what is said. And then second, I want to talk about what is not said. So let's begin with what is said. What's said in this editorial editorial eulogy-like summary. And I think it begins here clearly by saying that Saul was a king. Saul was a king. I don't know, I don't think anybody in this room can say that. I don't think anybody in this room can say, I was a king, I was a queen. Um, For real. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Look at verses 47 to 48. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, uh, that's what we learn. He was the first king uh, then we see in the latter verse 7, uh, he was a wartime king. He fought against all his enemies on every side. And also in verse 7, we learn from him as a wartime king, he took his enemies on. I mean, he routed them. The dude did it in taking them on as we read it. And then verse 48, Saul valiantly delivered his people in it. And, and then you jump to verse 52, kind of at the end here, and we learn that Saul is a wartime king. He fought hard. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul's life. He was leading the fighting, and it was a hard fighting. They were at it. And then the latter part of verse 52, uh, as a wartime king, Saul recruited great men. By the way, uh, I think it's important that actually tells us something about Saul in a positive way. Observation. Great men and women generally don't want to work and associate with not great men and women. That's kind of a common reality, and it just makes sense. 
And here, there's this idea giving this eulogy-like summary that Saul had this ability to draw valiant, great people with him. It's just telling us something. And so here in this, we're told that Saul was a king. He was a pioneering king. He was the first king of Israel. He was a wartime king that took on his enemies, that he routed them. He valiantly delivered the people. He fought hard. He recruited great people. Wow, this dude's impressive. By the way, it doesn't stop there. Saul was a man with a family. He was a man with a family. By the way, I'm not willing to say that Saul was a family man. I don't say that because I have doubts about that. It's just because the text doesn't say anything about that. The text is very matter of fact here with what is going on. And I understand that one might be saying that, yeah, but there's other, in ancient history, there's other kind of summaries of kings and so forth that are very matter of fact. And that is true. However, in scripture, there are summaries like this that also, like with David, I believe in 2 Samuel chapter 8, that kind of gives you an idea of that there is this inference, that there is idea, that there is a spirit spiritual reality going on. We don't see any of that with Saul. We see that he was a king. We see that he was a, that he was a man with a family. Verse 49, uh, he had sons, he had daughters. Saul was a father. He was not only a king, he was not only a wartime king, but Saul was a father. We see in verse 50, Saul was a husband. We, we just learn his wife, we learn her name, no other facts, that's it. Um, then verse 50 and 51, uh, I'm going to kind of call it Saul was a cousin. Uh, now it could be a nephew. At the end of verse 50 here, it tells about that his commander, his general of his army, essentially the way the Hebrews worked, the Saul's uncle could either be attached to Abner, the general, or to Nair, his father. So technically that could be a cousin or it could be uncle, making Saul a cousin or a nephew. Hey, listen, that's not the big deal. The point is this. Saul was a guy who was a father and a husband. And by the way, he even had some of his relatives in his cabinet, if you will. Coming from family business background, I'm telling you that says something. It's a unique dynamic. You don't have to do that, but he did here. He has, a, I think it's a cousin who is his general, his right-hand guy, all this. And you pull this all together and you go, man, this guy was super successful. I mean, a pioneering king routing his enemies, delivering his people. He recruits great people. He had a wife, kids, dogs, you know, summer house, you know, whatever, all this kind of stuff in this. And clearly, this is a great guy. But you and I know from having gone through this, we read that, and there's something that bothers us, right? Because as successful as he sounds, might I say it this way, from a historical, human, horizontal, six feet off the ground view, you and I know from what we've been studying that Saul, in a vertical reality with the Lord, has been a train wreck. And I want to submit on the table today the reading of that in and of itself, and that emotion of that, that thinking of that, as we read through this, yeah, he was a great guy in a whole bunch of ways, but man, the dude failed with the Lord. And I would submit that that's the call for today. Because you and I get so caught up in the horizontal. And know this. Have a great career? Fine. Wonderful. Have great relationships, fantastic.
But if life with the Lord is a train wreck, it's just sad, isn't it? Even as I say it. It's just a sad reality. Something I want for us to know out of this first part here, kind of on the what is said. I want us to know that God is a covenanting God. We see in Scripture, throughout Scripture, that God is a covenanting God. And by the way, I'm using the term covenant not as a theological framework. I'm not talking about covenant theology or theological system. I'm talking about it as its core base word of what it means. Covenant. It's a pledge. It's a commitment. It's an indenture. It's an agreement. Covenants are the binding of. Covenants are the binding of. I'd say it this way. A covenanting reality is a binding together by oath. It's a binding together by oath. It's a binding together by agreement. And in that, two aspects of that. God covenants himself to his own word. God covenants himself to his own word. What God has said he will do, he will do. Hey friends, know this. What God has said, bank on it. What God has said, he has said. And because God has said it, even God has bound himself by oath to his own word. Therefore, what God has said is what God has said. And therefore, that is what God will do. And there is massive hope in that. Because for the person who has come to a binding oath agreement with the Lord and coming to re- into relationship with the Lord, know this, God has covenanted himself to his word and his word says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Don't just flutter in that. Don't just feel in that. God has bound himself to that. When God has said, he who has the son has life, he or she who does not have the son of God does not have life, he has bound himself to that. And if you know Christ is your savior, listen, it is not banked upon you. It is banked upon what God God has said and what God has done. As he has said it, so let it be done. Know it, confidence, boom. There's hope in that. Great hope in that. And even in this text, part of what's so amazing about it, what is being said here about Saul and his success, is listen, God had covenanted himself to his people, and God will even use a rejected by God man to fulfill what God has said he will do. And the fact of the matter is, is we know that Saul, we could go, Saul was a great guy, but all of it God provided. The victories we've read were all from the Lord. I mean, the fact of having a family, that's a gift from the Lord. Having a wife, gift from the Lord. All of this is, is, is the words itself are telling that God covenants himself to his own word. What God has said he will do, he will do. 
By the way, God also covenants himself with humanity. I've already alluded to that. Life with the Lord is a covenanting with God relationship. Life with the Lord is a covenanting with God relationship. God is about a covenanting life with him. Him with you, you with him. Not you as his minion, not you as his pawn, not you as his lemming, but a binding oath to come together. That's the kind of relationship. A relationship founded out, formed out of a binding oath to come together, founded on the known promises and privileges and responsibilities. And you and I are not the structural contributors to it, In other words, we don't put it in place. We aren't the ones who say, hey, God, can you kind of shift your thing around? God's kind of like, want to get sassy? I don't think you understand who you are and who I am. But we kind of want to re-manipulate the pieces around. And, And that's not how it works. The fact of the matter is God has put in place as a covenanting God, God has put something in place to be able to have a binding oath agreement with him forever. And we are participants and recipients of it. We are not the structural builders of it. He is. And what he has built, you and I don't want to change. Because it's way too awesome. God, in our brokenness, has provided the means and the opportunity for you and I not to be his pawn, not to be number 68,528,000. God has provided the means for broken people, separated God from sin. He himself has provided the means for a covenanted relationship with him. And coming to Christ is about a covenanting. It's about God, I want to bind myself to the privileges, to the responsibilities, and to the calls of what you have put in place. That's what I want to be about. And I got to tell you, friend. That's the kind of relationship I want to have with the creator of the universe. I don't want to be over him. I want to be one of his. By covenant, bound to him, and as a result of that, in his word, him even bound to me. Do you know that kind of relationship? That's not just a fuzzy walking along kind of a, I'm in it today, I'm not in it today. This is kind of like, God, we're going to start this, and there are times where we fall and fail. Know that, right? Fall and fail. We all do, right? Okay, actually, a little bit stronger, because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming in my mind that there's probably someone in here who literally, and I mean this honestly, is probably like, you know what, you guys kind of irritate me on the whole, because you kind of think you got your act together, and you kind of think you're awesome, but I want for that person or those people to know this. Hey, we are a group of people that only are, are in relationship with the Lord because of what he has done, and by the way, we fall and fail. Is that true? Yes. And yet, he is covenanted to what he has done. And so even in the falling and the failing, he does not throw us out the window. God is awesome. God is awesome. In spite of Saul, the Lord remains faithful to his covenanted purposes, plans, promises, and people. Secondly, what is not said. Did you pick up in the editorial summary, and I've kind of already alluded to it, nothing is said about Saul and his life with the Lord. 
And as I've already noted, you could argue that, well, ancient documents like this, ancient summaries like this, and editorial eulogy type of things don't do this. And, and you have a point with that. But as I've already alluded to, there's times in scriptures where in it, it's not like you can't. There are times in scriptures where there is a, a mentioning of, there is a, an inference of that person and their relationship with the Lord David is an example of that. And, and in this whole thing of it, I just go, if we were at Saul's funeral, and this is read, these seven verses were read about, and we, 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 would, we should be saying those, those facts are true. They're true, and those facts, are, I think, are given in a respectful, kind kind of a way in light of the setting. But there's more to this guy's life story than just the summary of his horizontal successes. Yes, he fought valiantly. Yes, he had victories. Yes, he had a wife and kids. And in all this, yes, he even had a relative that was a general. But man, we all know that when it came to life with the Lord, the dude was a train wreck. Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has put eternity in mankind's hearts. And the fact that this bothers us about Saul, that we ache for Saul in this, again for me, just convinces me that God has put within us a desire for him and there is a God. You can't tell me that we just live and die and that's it. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. I love you. I hear you. But that just makes no sense. There is a God. And that God is a God who, not, who is not far off. That God is a God who is involved. And that God loves you and that God desires to covenant with you. And I don't care if he was a king, if he had all the successes in the world, but this is the one thing that the dude's missing. A life with the Lord that has vibrancy and deepening, and even in the falls and the fails, continues on. By the way, here's one of the cool things about where this is placed. There's an aspect of where this is placed in the writing of 1 Samuel that wouldn't it have been awesome or wouldn't it be awesome if all of a sudden that was said and we go into chapter 15 and 16 and we come to find out that, you know what, that present summary of who Saul was at the time changed. Actually, kind of like, you know what, we read this and then we come to find out that Saul was like, oh my word. I am a train wreck with the Lord. Oh man, I got the successes of life and I can put my resume up against anybody's resume and I got you duped. Just like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three. And yet in it, here it's the kind of thing where it's an opportunity. It's kind of like a reading structuring in the text, but it's also an opportunity, I think, to help remind us, hey friends, I don't know where you're at with the Lord, but this is one of these eulogy-like summary things that just remind us, hey, it's not over yet if you're still living. And we can turn, we can move this ship, lean into the Lord. We're gonna be talking next week. Lean into the Lord. What is not said is the saddest part of the whole thing. And friends, what is not said preaches to our souls. 
So something to ask out of what is not said. What is your present editorial summary like? Now I gotta tell you something straight up with you, just man to man, man to woman. I ask that question so carefully because I realize it is super easy in my position right now to use the kind of a setting to where like, okay, when you die, what do you want said? And I don't want to manipulate. I really don't. I'll let the Lord convict if that's the case, but I don't want to manipulate. And yet in it, I do think the manner of the placement of this text, in the movement of the whole structure of the book, as well as in the reality of this individual here, I sit back and I just have to ask the question, so what would my life, what would your life editorial summary be right now? I'll be very transparent with you. This could be the kind of thing where it's like, oh, you know, Doug, you know, he was part of, with some others and seeking to build a, a church and it got big and they had lots of people and all the ministry, blah, blah, blah. I just got to tell you, friends, so what? Really straight up. So stinking what? Is that how we're going to do this? We're going to measure ourselves by each other and putting, stacking our chips up to see who's more spiritual and who's more powerful? What about those that have served the Lord faithfully and have rarely seen fruit out come out of it? But they have been faithful, 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 faithful. We love success stories, and I just want to make a call to be very careful of it today. Because success stories can cause pride and success stories can just cause discouragement for those who don't have the coins to stack as high as the others. But here's the cool thing. It doesn't matter about those things from a stacking perspective. What matters is what's going on with you and the Lord. Poor, rich, young, old, What's going on there? Because that's the kind of story that is an eternal story. That's, that's a relationship with the Lord's story. And I don't know maybe where you're at, but I would love for Saul's life in the seven verse summary just to grab our attention and ask the question, what really am I living for? Nothing's wrong with things. Nothing's wrong with horizontal stuff. In fact, the Lord wants us to have an impact horizontally. But where are you at with the Lord? Wouldn't it be awesome if we turned to 15 and 16 and Saul's life with the Lord had become deep and growing and rich? And then we would come to when he actually does die. And it's not this. It's actually the editorial summary is. Oh, by the way, he was a king, had kids, had a wife, and some really cool things. But I'm telling you, the thing that I want to focus on today about this Saul guy was this guy had a covenanting relationship with the Lord.
And it showed in every one of those areas. I just want to ask for you this week to consider Saul's eulogy summary. And come back next week. And let's together be called into leaning into the Lord. And let's put some more skin to this skeleton. All right? So, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is true. Your word is rich. And your word is your word. And therefore, it can be trusted. It can be embraced. And your word has a way of pressing into us and encouraging us. God, I, I, I pray that a text like this for those who, who, are, who are pressing in and leaning into you and moving forward with you, God, this would be a text that would remind them, that's right, uh, by God's grace, I'm doing the right thing on the eyes in the right place, on the right one, the God of the universe, the Savior of, of all, and Lord, the Lord who is the one that I am leaning into. And oh God, I pray that encouragement would come out of that. Father, I also pray out of this would be a challenge, that there would be this aspect to where maybe we are right now or individuals right now are kind of caught up in, in kind of the stacking and the measuring and the, the, the self-identity in their career or, or, or in their uh, relationships or in what they have or in some of those other things. And God, frankly, you've kind of been put on the shelf of that. Father, I pray that they would look to you, that they would see you as the center of their identity. And they would begin to be moving that way. Because God, your arms are wide open. They're not shut off. They're not hands out in front saying, stop, don't come near. As we're gonna see next week, you actually invite to come near. You desire for that to happen. You desire to give life to the soul, not to take life from the soul, but to give life. Father, for those who are just in a hurting time of life, might you encourage them? Yes, what is happening now, it does matter. It really does matter. But it matters only when the God of the universe and the word of God is brought into it all an opportunity to mature and to grow, an opportunity to reflect and to learn, an opportunity to point to fame of the name of Christ. So Father, do a work as only you can do. May the Spirit of God just press into our lives and encourage us and move us forward for your glory. In the present, in the precious name of Christ, I pray, amen.